All of us here are doing it, but I don't think we've acknowledged the term. We're edit influencers. Video editing. Video editing. Video editing. Video editor. 10 more tricks in Premiere Pro. Technical side of Premiere Pro. Crushing your edits. How to edit. How to edit. How to edit. It's super weird saying that, and it's also interesting to figure out what that means. So we sat down with Kelsey, also known as Premiere Gal, a founder of the space, and asked her, what was the editing influencer market like uh like let's say five six years ago compared to now riverside is the best tool for video podcasts honestly if you're not using riverside for all of your virtual meetings you're making a big mistake i've even been using it for consultations as soon as we're done i get to send them the entire recording and not to mention the recording quality is freaking it's good whereas other virtual meeting services can only do up to 720 riverside can do 4k which is why we like to use it for podcasting and we love it because it records each audio and video track separately so that editing is such a breeze when we get into post which means our editor can get started on cutting it almost immediately. And even if you or your guest has absolute garbage internet, it doesn't matter. Because remember that one time when we were in the hotel room? I mean, the call kept on jostling. I thought we lost it, but because Riverside records locally and then uploads, the call was perfect. And it's easy for the guests. They don't need to install anything. You just send them the link and you can start recording. It even says like, roll out the red carpet. It's kind of of cool. Yeah, it makes me feel special. It makes me feel so special. If you're podcasting, creating video content or recording online calls, then sign up to riverside.fm for free and use code editingpodcast for 20% off. And you can find that link in the description and we'll see you back in the interview. What was the editing influencer market like uh like let's say five six years ago compared to now well there's a lot more competition online now but there's a lot of uh examples of what does well and what does not do well so it's kind of easier for you to kind of jump on board on the trends because people talk about it more so you can kind of if you plan your channel outright um you can easily you know, create a successful channel, I think, with the right intention. There's so many channels now, too, just dedicated to helping you create a YouTube channel also, especially in the last three years. Um, but I think the thing that hasn't changed is that no matter the SEO optimization, no matter the description, your personality and your story is unique, and that's enough to get you started. And I think that you still have to go on your own path of learning mistakes and creating videos to get where you are. So I'm glad that I started when I did because I've learned so much and I'm able to look back and kind of see my progression and kind of have that history there. Um, But I'm so glad I also started when I did because it was also enough to like get a little bit ahead so I could have that kind of upper edge now of being kind of I wouldn't say I'm like a veteran now, but it's been um, six years, six or seven years now. So. You kind of have that establishment, you know, about you. You kind of feel a little bit more comfortable because you've been around the block a few times, you know. For me, I felt like I was very hesitant. I didn't think people would be particularly interested to talk about that nature of editing that I really enjoy, which is like what story is told in between cuts and things like that. I didn't think that was particularly interested. Jordan then came along and then started talking about this. And I went, oh, okay, actually, maybe people are ready for these conversations or people actually probably would like these conversations. So I dabbled in it myself. And and then me and Jordan have been snowballing ever since. It's good to just have that kind of community to talk about it with other people and, you know, share things. Because I feel like editing can be a very isolated job. 
You know what I mean? Like you are like sitting by yourself for hours looking at a screen and, you know, to have a YouTube channel to share and talk about these things is like exactly what we need in our profession. And to have somebody else to relate to and know, oh, I, I was feeling the same thing. I feel the same way. And actually, what's really great to see now on my channel is that I'm actually influencing the product itself. Uh, a few months back, I, I made a video on the new uh, captioning that was coming out. And I was like, dude, Premiere, we can't even add transitions to the captioning layer. Like, we need to be able to animate it if you're going to, like, keep up to date with what everybody wants to do. And then three months later, they they created the tool where you can upgrade the captioning layer to a graphics layer. And now you can add transitions to it. So it's great to see people commenting and agreeing with that. And I love the like back and forth that we've had from like the channel explaining how to do it, what's wrong and like how can we improve. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline the product as well. How is the podcast going for you guys since you've started it? Are you guys planning out your episodes in advance? Are you finding that it's just endless opportunities too? It's we're spoiled for choice, overwhelmed with the directions we can take. And as you said, being conscious of the direction that we do take. There's this paradox. I don't know about you where it's like we're so busy having to make the content that potentially we might miss a beat that's happening in the in the editing space because we're in the thick of it ourselves. And so we're having this uh, interesting push and pull where it's, we have to maintain our awareness of what's going on in the space, what are people talking about while we're also making our own content or potentially making content that would be joining into that conversation. Making sure that what we talk about is also well-researched. That's the, that's the major stress point, right? You want to make sure you're providing the accurate information. Yeah, absolutely. And so if someone could ask us a question or we could be getting comments, but if we haven't looked into it ourselves, if we haven't tried the NLE yet, if we haven't tried this service yet, we we, we won't be qualified to share our opinion. For example, yeah, we've had questions where it's um, what's like, what, which, which editing software should I use? If I'm honest, I don't think it matters anymore. But if people are looking into it, if we can be the source of information of like, how do you how do you find out which one you would prefer? Maybe we could be the source of that. So maybe we are the ones who tried out Premiere. We are the ones who tried like who know Final Cut. We are we do know about DaVinci. We do know about CapCut. We should be on that buzzer. We need we need to have that finger on that buzzer. There is a responsibility as an editing influencer that we share accurate information, accurate opinions. Uh, not hot takes. I don't think this is going to be a hot take industry. I don't think that's necessary. But also helping ensure that editors, no matter where they are in their journey, it could be right at the start or somewhere in the middle or they've been doing this 10 years down the line. We can help be a part of the conversations and be part of their thought process as they figure out their next step in their career. Like you said, Hayden, it's like the editing industry is getting so big and there's so many new tools and apps and, you know, the technology side of it, like the your wheelhouse, Kelsey, is so overwhelming to us. It's absolutely like we don't even know how to possibly keep track of it. But so for what we want to do, we are just thinking 
okay, maybe we don't know everything and that's okay. So we're going to go ask some other people about it. And we're going to ask, find the best editors in the world and, and just honestly pick their brains about the art of film editing and, um, and see if we can learn something then also in turn pass that information on to the next generation. I think one thing that's interesting in my role right now, kind of jumping on the topic of, you know, keeping up to date and also being a practitioner at the same time is right now I'm actually finding that because I'm doing more producing and the content side of things, I'm doing less and less of the editing, which is the topic. But I am testing the tools out heavily in the research process, but I'm not necessarily using them to create a film. As long as I have my hands on the tech and I'm like testing things out and I'm still you know, editing some of the videos, but it's also an interesting dynamic that everybody's that that's watching is like an editor. And like, I'm primarily becoming more of a producer role and a writer role, which is very interesting. Do you find it hard that you're not, you know, actually the person at the controls all the time? Because that's, that was your first love and that's why you got into it. And now your role is actually shifting. I know Hayden and I, we've kind of been in this really interesting paradox where we're also not able to, you know, edit all of the editing podcast episodes. So it's like our our jobs have like dramatically shifted. So how has that been for you? Yeah, it's been a, a little bit of an adjustment. I again, I still have my hands in the Premiere Pro project. Another love that I found with films when I was first making them was sharing it with other people. And I feel like that feeling hasn't gone away because I'm still sharing each week. So I feel like because I'm doing that, I don't feel like there's like a lack of it. So I still have my hands, you know, on the controls, as they say, kind of like, you know, like I may not be the astronaut going to space, but I'm still like NASA counting down behind, you know, like, all right, Houston, <laughs> I still feel that excitement before the takeoff, you know, I think that that's okay. And I also think that, you know, kind of like, you know, when uh, people have uh, found a company or find, how do you, how would you say I that? I don't know. When I've also asked a question. <laughs> yeah. When they find a company or when they create their company, they're still in it. Like Steve Jobs and like everybody like creating Apple in the garage. And then, you know, they grow and they delegate tasks to other people. And you may not be the person building the computer. You're delegating that task to other people. So it's like kind of a natural progression that people take in their life. So I think that stepping away from that ever after having to do it for so many years it's still a love it's still a passion but you know you evolve and you go on to new things and i think that's just a natural thing in any career we've now found that sometimes me refusing to delegate makes me the biggest gatekeeper and biggest source of friction in terms of that process because i think you're right i am in this weird place where in order for me to talk about editing I should still be editing. I think you're taking opportunities, though, that are that could provide more content for the podcast. Like having that whole experience editing for Mr. Beast, like you guys could talk about that in an episode. And you're in the middle of this amazing thing. Like you want to take these opportunities. You know, sometimes it's hard to say no. And I think you can still do it. Like you can still edit on occasion. Um, and that's still being a practitioner. I mean, you know, you don't have to edit every day. You don't have to edit every week, per se. Um, it's just finding that right balance. And I think that takes time and it's not going to be like, click, you wake up one day and immediately I can delegate tasks. Like <laughs> you're not like really a robot. You can just be like, you know, doing that. It's going to take a long time. We've talked a lot about the editing influencer space. And I think we'll, I would say we're at a place where we can start talking about 
we can define this as now we're in the editing economy. I think this economy is now very much in full swing. I think it's time for us to start calling it that. Where do you think the editing economy could potentially be going to next? I think now we all have the ability to make videos, right? And the concern that some people might have is that the video economy or the the value of video editing might be going down because, or like the price that you can charge because it is more accessible now. And so there is that kind of like fear in between. But at the same time, it's like to get a good edit done, you can see the difference, right? So I can see both sides of the argument, but it really depends on the editor. And if people just have that editing sixth sense and they get it and they have a ton of experience, especially on YouTube, there's so many YouTubers now that need editors. And I think the YouTube economy There's so many roles that are getting developed. Like you don't have to be the person in front of the camera anymore. Like you can be the project manager. You can be the producer. You can be the editor. And I think more and and more people are realizing that now that it's like a whole industry of roles. And I think the editing role in there is so important. So you can get a job editing for multiple YouTubers. And I think that's really exciting for the editing economy. Hello. Cheeky segue. (laughs) We just wanted to take a moment to let you know about some of our favorite products. Get funding for your content. That's it. That's what Creative Juice can offer. Juice funds have helped creators upgrade their gear, hire editors, or start the podcast they've always dreamed of. Which was amazing for us because we uh, really underestimated how expensive a podcast is. It's a lot of beans. But what's really exciting about Juice, though, is that you stay in total control of your content. Which is awesome because it's only you that knows exactly what you need for your channel. Juice just supports you with funding and resources. Think invoicing, expenses, income, and more. And Juice helps you with the worst part of being a creator taxes. Creative Juice is awesome because they have personalized tax prep tools where you can pay contractors, track 1099s, and categorize all your expenses automatically. All of those things you just said, I've never heard of. That sounds really scary. Juice, please help me. And we actually did just send our producer, Ashley, a W-9. All I had to do was type in her email. She fills it out and sends it back to us. We'll get a notification and boom, it's super easy. And that's great because the less time you spend doing taxes, that's more time for you to be doing what you do best creating. Go to the link in the description and sign up for Juice today at getjuice.com slash getfunding. We need to have a serious conversation. I need you to stop spending your entire day looking for music that actually isn't even that good. But Track Club is actually full of bloody great music. Their entire library is banger after banger and mash. We also know that audio is essential for creating an emotional world for your audience. This is why beyond having great music, Track Club has Mixlab, which allows you to use stems to customize it to your situation. For example, there's this documentary song that I really liked that sounded hopeful. But if I soloed the vocals, that sounded scary. Or I just used the mallets to create a build. And Track Club makes it super simple to avoid copyright strikes. Paste your channel's URL into Track Club and Bob's your uncle, your videos will be cleared automatically. My uncle's name's Dave. Guess what? They're offering your first month for free. So go to the link in the description and get your free month of Track Club today. I do a little bit of a consulting. I ask this question a lot with a lot of creators and it's, it's a very interesting response and I want to ask both of you this as well. Are we making what we want to make Or are we making what the algorithm told us to make? Gosh, this is a tough one. And I actually spoke about this recently in another podcast. And if I look back on like my best performing videos of 2022, there was three themes that I found. 
And one is if I incorporated the word new in the title. If I had a video that said a list way of doing things, like five ways to do this, or recently, if we include AI, it also does better. So is that the algorithm telling me to continue to create that type of content? I would say yes, because it is guaranteeing that my views will keep up, hence making sponsors happy, hence allowing me to pay and do everything, right? So I always find it's a hybrid. It's like not completely clean, right? That's something I think about a lot because to an extent, we forget the algorithm is to an extent an AI. Yeah. It is an artificial intelligence gathering data information and then to an extent and then becomes our boss and telling us what we should be making again. You said a really great word, which is uh, the algorithm informs us. I think instead of it being the boss, it creates sort of suggestions of what we could be doing. Right. And I do like that because to an extent it knows with data, this is what works again. But then that's the big issue. We're doing something again. <laughs> and I think I see creators end up making the same video and over and over again because the AI has taught them to just do it again and again and again. And therefore, they don't forget their own creative individuality. And then they become the slave to the algorithm. That's where I can imagine content creators can fall into that trap relatively easily. What me and Jordan are trying to do, I think with, with the podcast, but then also alongside our own channels as well, is a slight protest towards those traps that we can get into. And so there are some conversations, there are some content that we make might not do that well. And we're going to go, but that's okay, because actually that was a video that we wanted to make. And then we will continue with those experiments. And then maybe one day with these new experiments, the algorithm might go, okay, actually, this is an interesting video. Let's see what happens if I give it to this pool of people. Suddenly that video takes off. And now we found a new video format for us to repeat again and again and again. Oh, no, it never stops. <laughs> it never stops. Yeah. That's where this process gets dangerous. But, but then also, again, it can encourage if it works, it works. But then again, try again. Make another video that might be uh, against what the AI has told you to do. And maybe that video works again. And so there is pros and cons towards that attitude and there's pros and cons towards also allowing the AI to be your boss. And so we're exploring that idea, but bottom line, informing a lot of our choices, start with what excites us creatively rather than what the AI is telling us to do. It's really, really smart what you said. And I also think that it's one way to think about it is that YouTube is like this new medium, right? Where we're so used to just, you can change the content any week that you want. Like you can experiment. But like with TV, like, you know, there was like set seasons. Like for example, like Parks and Recreation, like you expect the same format where April Ludgate looks at the camera awkwardly after Ron Swanson does something funny. Like, you know, you got, you like that's the same format. They didn't change it because it worked. But the season eventually ended and it went on. And for us, it's kind of like those styles of videos are almost like seasons of content on TV. And I think it's okay to repeat that process and to know that seasons change and like that's kind of the cycle of it, you know? Um, 
But rather than the TV show dying or like stopping, we have to reinvent ourselves all the time. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think in comparison to, let's say, Parks and Recreation episode one, in comparison to the final season of Parks and Recreation, we do see those characters change over time. We do see the production change. We do see the tone of the show change. I do even remember the first season they made a lot of mistakes and they kind of did like a soft reboot in season two of Parks and Recreation. They learned how to be better creators themselves. But you're right, I would say creators have seasons or like they have that TV show format and then, but the creators is a showrunner to an extent and so they can then create a whole new show but that still has loose references to what it is that they make. So, for example, Mike Schur, who was involved in The Office, and then did Parks and Recreation, similar visual style, but just like a different scenario. Then he went, went to go make The Good Place and then made Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But all of those still feel like a Mike Schur show. Uh, they still have a lot of those parts of it, but there is like an extent, a reboot of what he's trying to do creatively in different scenarios. And I, I want to tune into the new Mike Shaw show. And I like that idea. And so it's, yeah, take what you learn and then try something new and kind of just allow yourself to reboot every every couple years or so. And to an extent, make a whole new TV show that still has your elements. I like that. I think that's so smart. Here's the problem though, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the Office yeah. will get a bajillion views compared to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So if he has the option to create anything he wants every single week, he's going to keep making The Office. But The Office did get a little bit tired towards the end of the show, though. It did. It did. And that makes sense. But people are still going to watch the tired episodes of The Office more so than maybe some of his other shows. Yeah, with TV shows, the showrunners, it's they have a new TV show idea. And then they go to someone with money and then they go, hey, can I make this new show? And then they go and the money goes, all right, off you go. But whereas for us, right. we're the person up top. And so we have to be either in a good place. We probably could take a risk for a year or two. But if you're always investing your money back into the channel, you might not have be in that place where you can take a risk for, two, for a year or two and figure out the new path. And so you're trapped. So what seems to be the theme here is, is that who you choose to be a slave to. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Kelsey? I, this whole topic came up too, I think, with some people on Instagram reels and like doing the trends and like who can get the most attention, you know? And it's, that's kind of a lame thing when you think about it, you know? Like, I don't know if I want to be that person that's like, you know, I'm making this, so watch me, you know? And like, if you think about that, that that makes me feel icky, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to have that feeling. And I think it's all about the taste of it. And I think staying true to yourself while being mindful of what's doing well, there's nothing wrong with doing that, you know, because it is a business and you want to grow and, and that's how it is. But I think still staying true to like your content and in your demeanor, I think will make it bearable the whole process. You're having your take on it. Like someone's like, I want to get Jordan's take on this topic. I want to get Hayden's take on this. No, actually, I want to get Premier Gal's take on this because they appreciate you for you. And I think it's okay to jump on trends as long as it's not just like doing it for that attention seeking manner. Right. Then I think we need to find peace in that because that's just the that's just the way the game works. That totally makes sense. Are there any video topics like that you feel like you've been stuck in in the past? A lot of the times periodically there's new updates to Premiere. That's usually a topic that comes up for me. Sometimes I'll get nostalgic and I'll think that 
an effect might do well and it doesn't do well. Like I really liked uh, Mary Poppins, the the first one that first came out because it was full of all like these cool effects and like jump cuts and like people jumping into chalk paintings and flying with an umbrella and like laughing and floating and all these things and singing in a mirror and having the reflection sing back at you. And I really wanted to make a video on like the singing reflection and showing how it works. And then like the video just doesn't do well at all. But the Instagram real version of it did well because, you know, little kids like watching things on repeat in short seconds of it. So I think that I'm still kind of in an experimental phase where I'm trying new things too. And sometimes it works out. And you have to have a little bit of risk in this format on YouTube because you just you just really can't tell. You can kind of say that maybe this amount of views might happen. But yeah, like I'm just trying to share new tools that come my way and trying to classify them in ways that will get views, which I think is smart and also just a way to play the game in my own way, as I was talking about. Giving yourself permission to experiment is the big rule here i think and it's it, if it doesn't work yeah. but that was something that you wanted to do and i think so you were pretty creatively fulfilled in doing that because yeah it had, you had your personal nostalgia towards it you had your own personal relationship and so you made a love letter to yourself exactly and i think that kind of balances it out i think that should be the rule it's like so like make one video for the algorithm and make one video for you there's always that thing about like it could be the next trend that you do, that you start. So it's always exciting too to post those experiments. Mm -hmm.